Angie has made it easier than ever to connect with skilled professionals to get all your jobs projects done well. If you own a home, you know how much work it can take, whether it's everyday maintenance and repairs or making dream projects a reality. It can be hard just to know where to start, but now all you need to do is Angie that and find a skilled local pro who will deliver the quality and expertise you need. Angie has over 20 years of home service experience, and they've combined it with new tools to simplify the whole process. Bring them your project online or with the Angie app, answer a few questions, and Angie can handle the rest from start to finish or help you compare quotes from multiple pros and connect instantly, which means you can take care of just about any home project in just a few taps. Because when it comes to getting the most out of your home, you can do this when you Angie that. Download the free Angie mobile app today or visit Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I dot com. It's time to turn off the lights and turn on the dark. Chilling Tales for Dark Nights. Good evening, listener. You're listening to Chilling Tales for Dark Nights. On tonight's edition, we invite you to leave behind your safe reality and descend with us into the frightening depths of the most terrifying imaginations with two audio adaptations of frightening fiction about harrowing houses and tortuous trips. Well, folks, here we are. Deep into January, I wonder what horrors await us. I'm your host, Steve Taylor, and tonight I'll be your guide as we traverse the dimly lit corridors of your darkest dreams. Joining us tonight to help bring to life the frightening fiction of David Cassie and Lonnie Aaron Elder, our voice talents Drew Blood and Danielle Hewitt. Now, get your ticket ready. Take your seat in our theater of the minds and brace yourself. It's time to turn off the lights and turn on the dark. Our first tale of the evening is written by David Cassie and is performed by Drew Blood. In it, we meet a family taking an adventure on the water racing towards the site of their new home. So without further ado, I present to you Hush House. William Harrow stood at the front of the modest off-white skiff as it lurched forward, constantly battered, lifting and crashing back down again with the swelling tide. He didn't move, looking onward with one hand raised to his shaped, serious brow in a near salute through a particularly wet and noxious low mist. 
Hush Isle, once just an uncertain black shape lost in the fog, gradually came into view, changing its form into something rather gaunt and unsightly. There was no sand there. There was no proper beach. The base of the small island was composed entirely of unwieldy sharp black rocks that sputtered stiffly in the gray winter bloom. Behind him, his wife Eleanor and six-year-old daughter Rose scuttled about, laughing in the cold open air and running their hands through the choppy current. Now and then, one of them would squeal or gasp as the icy water rushed upward and met them, slashing at the sides of the skiff and spraying them in the face and hair. He didn't notice them. He didn't even look back. He thought he had seen something in the dreary morning haze as they pressed on through the turbulence. A reflection of an old man, distorted black and blue, bloated and warped by weeks of attrition and brine, picked apart by crabs, devoured by thousands of hideous, scuttling, slimy creatures from the depths. He looked steadily on through the spray as what appeared to be a ghastly jaw distended, cracked, and then unhinged entirely as impossibly long, tendril-like fingers wormed out of his mouth. The bitter, bleak, salt air nipped at Eleanor's face as she smiled at her daughter. She didn't mind. She almost couldn't feel it. She was enjoying herself for the first time in many weeks. She felt like a child again. She felt like her daughter. She cherished being out in nature, away from the city, away from the people she knew, her usual thoughtless routine. It all felt rather suffocating, ceaseless and unbearable, as if she would be moving the same way, in the same familiar circles for the rest of her life. In her mind, she often transported herself to this very place, or somewhere quite similar, away from it all, cast aside at sea, where the fragrant frosted air tasted wild and brackish, and anything seemed possible. A tall wave collided harshly with the front of the skiff, knocking Rose with a giggle from her crouched position onto her backside. It didn't move her husband. Eleanor didn't believe that anything did anymore. Careful, girls! The gruff elderly man who sat between them warned as he continued to row, flashing a tense wolf-like yellow-toothed grin that extended well up and beyond his beady black eyes. You can't trust the water. Often Eleanor would have been bothered by his off-put and starved gaze, or by the way he hissed girls from between his crooked teeth. But today she couldn't care less. She did feel like a girl just then. Rose had never seen an island so ugly in her whole life. She had pictured it quite differently when her parents had told her that they would be going on the trip to a secluded island earlier in the week. In her mind, it was a lovely place with rolling pristine beaches full of seashells for her to collect. An ice cream parlor just off the sand with her favorite mint chocolate chip and lofty vibrantly red lifeguard posts like she saw in the movies. This was all very different. The place was morose and brooding both grand and sunken in places, and much smaller than she envisioned. She could see across the entire island, even with the heavy fog that crowded them. She saw mangled rows of windswept and tattered trees, 
She saw the house too, stained gray and singular, standing alone in the center of the island, rising above them like some huge shingled skeleton peering down. She saw something glint in the corner of her eye and chanced to look over the railing. Two bright hollow orbs hung in the water, seemingly moving alongside the boat. They flashed once and disappeared. Rose thought they looked remarkably like eyes. There were two miles of frothing crude sea between the mainland and where they now stood. The ungainly jagged rocks and jutting spindly grasses that formed something of a malformed path leading up to the house. William thought it quite handsome in a way, towering and dark, rigid and angular. Something about it agreed with him, set him at ease, which is why he had brought them here in the first place. Work had been murder recently, the late nights, no sleep, weeks of travel with no appreciable end in sight. When he had heard about the place in that prickly old tavern down by the wharf, he immediately inquired about its availability. He didn't care what it cost him. He couldn't take another day in the city in their cramped quarters, the neighbors, the same blank, falsely sociable, monotonous faces at the firm. It was enough to drive anyone mad. William reached down and plucked their luggage, two identically brown, large duffels, one considerably heavier than the other from the wet stones, and started up the path winding upward toward the vacation residence as his family trailed behind him. As they neared the front steps, which appeared just off in some way, built perhaps at an irregular degree, or so worn away by flood or flat gust that the same effect was achieved, he turned back to follow the tiny drab shape of the skiff as it hustled over steep waves and began to dissolve into the low light, swallowed whole by the immense curtains of damp dark air. William felt relief as he lost all sense of the thing that he might never see the despicable little ship again. It was Eleanor who first noticed that something wasn't quite right about the place. A great somber darkness pressed up against the windows, and the front door upon testing the handle swung open freely with just a touch. A humid sour stagnation greeted her at the door as they shuffled in, sniffing and shivering from the cold. It felt as if nothing had lived within the walls for some time. Still, Eleanor had the impression that there was something there, standing tall, with hidden eyes that scoured the three of them, just out of sight in the flood of shadows that washed through the entryway and yawning chasm of a corridor that stretched out much before them and into nothing. She found herself against her usual prudence, swapping madly for the switch, and on finding it, raised it as quickly as possible, not wanting to spend another moment in the intolerable blackness. The light arrived lazily as the house groaned, bellowed, and stammered to life, filling the adjacent rooms and sweeping the halls with a markedly orange color, a burnt, almost reddish complexion. Eleanor glanced at her husband, feeling uneasy. He stood perfectly still as a playful grin carved up his face. Rose didn't like the baleful old house at all. 
She moved with her mother through the extended corridor past many broad cavernous rooms, each with a definite and distinct personality. There were countless oil portraits on the walls with utterly white, vacant faces, which leered down at her whenever she stared at any one space for too long. It reeked, too, an earthly putrid odor reminiscent of someone trying to conceal the corrosion of wasted fish. Upon inspection, Rose wasn't sure why they had come here at all, nor why her father had been so enthusiastic by the proposition in the first place. He never liked holidays, always finding a way to complain about the travel, the hotel service, or the expense. He wasn't an outwardly adventurous man, particularly as he grew older, but he had positively raved about the place for some days now, repeating a story that he had heard from some miserable old sea dog regarding the remarkable beauty and serenity of the place. Rose followed her mother through the ample kitchen with rough-appearing speckled tiles and a large assortment of well-worn copper pots hanging directly from the ceiling. She could hear her father's weighty steps as he crossed through the second story above, placing their luggage in the bedrooms. She heard doors opening and closing in the distance, something that sounded like muffled concern coming from just above her. And then, after a long silence, something else, too. She heard what she thought then must have been something very long and very heavy dragging itself along the carpet and onto the kitchen tiles. Rose was too afraid to look, too afraid to speak. Her left hand held her mother, and her right covered her eyes. You can live out your MasterChef dreams. When you find a professional on Angie to tackle your dream kitchen remodel. Connect with skilled professionals to get all your home projects done well. Inside to outside. Repairs to renovations. Get started on the Angie app or visit Angie.com today. You can do this when you Angie that. Angie has made it easier than ever to connect with skilled professionals to get all your jobs projects done well. If you own a home, you know how much work it can take, whether it's everyday maintenance and repairs or making dream projects a reality. It can be hard just to know where to start, but now all you need to do is Angie that and find a skilled local pro who will deliver the quality and expertise you need. Angie has over 20 years of home service experience, and they've combined it with new tools to simplify the whole process. Bring them your project online or with the Angie app, answer a few questions, and Angie can handle the rest from start to finish or help you compare quotes from multiple pros and connect instantly, which means you can take care of just about any home project in just a few taps. Because when it comes to getting the most out of your home, you can do this when you Angie that. Download the free Angie mobile app today or visit Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I dot com. William finished unloading the bags in the master chamber and the border in pink, plainly juvenile adjoining room. He began to advance through an unusually designed, nearly interwoven collection of vast, rather dreadful rooms each positively filled to the brim with dusty relics, ragged leather cushions, and that constant stench of deterioration. The smell didn't bother him. He had known about it, welcomed it even, since his first visit to the house three weeks prior. 
He hadn't informed Ellen that he had come to stay here when he was supposed to be off on a commercial trip in Seattle. He had to be certain before he involved her. He had to see the place for himself, bricks and mortar, ensure that it was worth the time and effort of dragging her and the little beast way out into the country, then off into the depths of the ocean where everything felt so final. He wanted also to prove with some degree of confidence that what the irritable old man with his darting recessed eyes and his parchment yellow sun-warped skin had said was true. To prove that his estate, which he had leased to William at quite an affordable rate, was indeed unique, alone in its isolation, perfect serenity, and appreciable quality. William smiled to himself. He found a large window that faced the back of the house, its once substantial courtyard and the vast overgrown pit that waited just beyond, circled desperately by dozens of spirited, paunchy seagulls that whooped, hollered, and plunged downward, jousting each other in the air. It was such a small thing, that deceit. Many men had done much worse than scouting the property in secret before they leased it for the holiday. Still, it bothered him then for the first time, and just for a moment, as he watched the waves rise and fall in the distance, even amongst themselves and against the shoreline, folding and unfolding, living and dying all over again. The song came then, the familiar quiet hum that came from just out of reach of conscious rational thought. The whirl and thrumming of strings, primal chords, and lyrics from much before he first drew breath in the world. His eyes wandered from the sea back to the chasm behind the house and lived there. Eleanor didn't notice that Rose had disappeared until she had wandered through most of the second story, crossing from one garish crimson or gold room to another running her hands all too pleasantly along the tapered raised walls, listening to the stark silence. She had moved in something of a trance, scarcely aware that she was moving at all, or that those little fingers had once again held her so tightly, had simply shrugged off. Everything felt faint and surreal, but one thought rushed back with enough force to wrest her from obscurity. Rose... Eleanor called for her daughter, her voice rising to a necessary but otherwise unsuitable pitch, the distressed lament of a parent, deathly afraid for their little loved one, so vulnerable and unable to guide their way through the world. She listened as the sound carried up and away from her, driven down meandering corridors and then simply seemed to dissipate entirely in the uncertain spaces beyond. She called for William. He didn't respond. White-hot panic leapt through her body and settled in the base of her throat, choking her. Something was terribly wrong. She knew it. She could sense it somehow. Something had been disorienting her while it stalked her daughter. A sudden powerful volley of rain thrashed against the long-languished window to her left and she spun to it immediately. There was a face there, washed by both sea and salt, callous skin folded unnaturally against itself, hollow blank eyes that looked through her entirely, never blinking. 
She watched in sheer terror as its awful mouth began to open, much too wide to be human, the decaying black lips pulling back like paper, rows of shattered teeth with it, and a long mutilated hand began to rip its way out of his throat. Eleanor screamed and ran from the horror, darting from the room and into the corridor, shouting for Rose, whom she loved more than anything in the world. Rose had seen the man too late. It had been the song that attracted her, sweet and low, barely audible, but pleasant in such a wholly indescribable way. It was as if the sound had been tailored just for her, so cheery and calming, something to set her mind at ease from whatever horrible thing she had heard slithering down the hallway just moments before. The song made that all wash away, made her release her grip on her mother's warm hand without even noticing that she did and slip away into the parlor with its high-coated wainscotting, heavy, dour curtains, and extensive collection of colorful sitting tables and ornaments. But it had stopped then just as it drew her away, just as her mother mounted the twenty or so steps upstairs, just as she heard the thing begin to slither again through the darkness towards her. Rose yelled, but the sound was squelched there, caught and consumed as if it had never existed. She ran as fast as her legs could carry her, not thinking to look behind her until she crossed several rooms and found the cupboard nearly twice her size. She carefully squeezed the handles, hoping they wouldn't come undone. Much of the house seemed fragile and stuffed herself inside, folding her legs uncomfortably beneath her to make herself fit. Her breath came in short, uneasy bursts as she tried to temper it to better listen for any sign of that vile thing in the passage. She did, after a while, hear the thing moving again, shuffling from expensive tile to diminishing carpet, making a sound that most reminded her of when she had seen and then heard a snake swiftly coiling itself up the white oak tree behind her elementary school. She looked through the gap between the shuttered wooden opening, forcing herself, unable to resist the urge while so miserably corralled in the tight space and with that dreadful noise again upon her. It was a man, walking but not truly walking, more dragging himself through the hall and into her room. His eyes were completely white and flushed with something unfamiliar to her, a strange inhuman pale resonance. His face was horribly stretched and broken in places, crushed where something had been brought against his skull until it fractured and came away. His skin was purple and black, spotted with red blotchy patches and torn apart in places. She recognized his stench immediately, clumps of long dead seaweed decomposing in the sun, the very one she had first smelled upon arrival to the island and with much more concentration in the interior spaces of the home. He began to squirm directly towards her, the hundreds of shattered pieces of his face clicking and moving all wrong as he neared the cupboard. Rose wanted to scream, to cry out for her mother, to hold her hands over her eyes and wish this awful thing away. But instead, 
she was silent. William reflected as he pushed his shovel through soil, earth, and old clay of the fair face he had once called his own. Victoria, his first and most true love. They had met at university and spent the better part of four years together, the best of his life. Her soft, pale skin seemed to burn in his mind. Her bright, wide eyes followed him like a cat as he worked, displacing mounds of dirt and rock with each thrust. She was with him even now, though her shape wasn't quite certain and seemed to fade away into the mist at her closest edges. He loved her anyway. Loved her in a way in which he had never loved Eleanor or his spoiled daughter Rose. He loved her with parts of himself that had died off many years ago. When she had grown ill and died at 24, a terrible hollowness that had taken him swept through his mind and body and altered the rest of his life. Nothing was quite the same after that. No sugar as sweet, no success as pleasing. His marriage to Eleanor had come after some significant pressure from both families and after he had been alone for many years. It was a disservice to Eleanor that he accepted the proposal, and he regretted it to this day. He began to drink shortly after the ceremony, hiding it at first and most ardently from his wife and the little brat who ran through his house, which he had worked so hard to maintain, breaking and destroying without a care in the world. His shovel hit something damp and tough, splitting it into two halves that squelched as it broke apart and the inside splashed out. The foolish old man's skull, horrid and harrowed, besieged by salt and sea, the remaining flesh torn, picked over, and carried away by many hungry beaks and insects with dozens of spindly legs. The old man had served his purpose, if nothing else but to prove the validity of his own story the senseless whisper that many years before, settlers had traveled to Hush Isle to bury the recovered bones of their drowned sailors and children here and wait for them to return with the tide. As the bleary old drunkard had relayed the story to him, William decided that he had to find out for himself either way. He had come to suicide just nights before. He had even fastened the wire around his neck and sat for hours in the parlor in front of the blaring television set, staring up at the ceiling fan as it turned and turned. As Eleanor and Rose slept soundly just a few feet above him, even more unsettling was the discovery that he didn't mind how it felt, that cold metal cord, that he even might have welcomed it wanted to feel that sudden rush of pressure snap his neck sideways and be done with it all. No more dues. No more formal meetings. No more quarterly reports. No more Eleanor. No more Rose. Instead, William had accepted the inebriated man's invitation to spend an evening with him at his ghastly property and see truly if there was some supernatural influence that made the place return the unliving just as they were. He felt it immediately upon reaching the shore, hearing the old words rising from the tide from hundreds of voices, heard the sweet siren song so gentle and enticing telling him to kill, 
Kill. Kill. William listened. He grabbed the old drunk by the neck and throttled him where he stood, feeling his body exhale as it went limp, and the light faded from his sunken eyes. But that wasn't enough. He found the gardening shovel in the shed and crushed the man's skull in, swinging again and again until he lost all strength and collapsed beside the broken body, laughing and crying as the wind howled and black salt rain fell all around him. Then he saw her, Victoria, though just a shadow of herself, barely an outline in the dusk. She smiled and her warm eyes found him, as they had many years before. He felt well again, truly, for the first time since her illness, as if everything mattered again, and the world could finally continue to spin on. Her voice was the same as he remembered it, delicate and honey-sweet, drifting in and out of the breeze, telling him that the old man wasn't enough, telling him that he would need two more. He knew what it would take to bring her back. William finished scraping away the filth and remnants of furrowed corpses, unfurled his pack, which he had set aside in his padded compartment of the luggage set, and spilled the bones of his lovely Victoria, whose body he had exhumed just yesterday. Rose burst from the cupboard as Eleanor raced through the halls calling her name and flung herself crying into her mother's arms. She held her daughter tightly for a moment and then began to search over her shoulder and all around her for signs of trouble. What happened? She asked. Is everything okay? The bad man, Rose started. He's here. I saw him too, Eleanor answered, feeling that they were still being watched from just around the corner. We have to get out of here. We have to find your father. Rose nodded and Eleanor kissed her on the forehead, looked her in the eyes and promised that she wouldn't lose her again. Then they stood together and hurried toward the front door knowing without even speaking the words that they would rather chance the wailing, fervent squall outside than whatever waited inside the house. The rain was torrential, coming in huge, unrelenting drops, enveloping everything in darkness and brine. The wind came in great horizontal gusts, collapsing against Rose with enough vigor that it stung her skin. She clung to her mother more tightly than ever as they searched the grounds for her father, one step at a time, fighting the oncoming deluge. They found him some distance from the back of the house, silhouetted against a wall of ocean, a vague, murky shape just in the field of view. They ran together, quickly closing the distance to reunite their family. They couldn't see what William was holding until they were within a few feet of him, a shovel, drenched in grime and earth, dripping madly into the wide crater below him. Rose watched as her mother tensed up and stopped moving. She called to him. What are you doing? We need help. You always need something from me, don't you? He said after a moment. His voice was vicious, more animal than human. He turned to her slowly coiled muscles pressed against his drenched clothing, 
His thick black hair falling in long, wet strands all down his face, obscuring his eyes. William, you're scaring me. He didn't hesitate. He swung the shovel in a wide arc that connected with Eleanor's ribs, instantly splitting her skin and sending her flying backward from the impact onto the mud below. Rose screamed. Eleanor coughed and sputtered for breath, rolling on her back from the pain and loss of oxygen. It has to be this way. It has to be both of you, so she can live. He lifted the shovel again, higher this time, ready to bring it down against her skull, collapsing it, just as he had collapsed the old man. Rose didn't stop to think about what she was doing. She reached down to the displaced pile of debris and hurled a muddied stone, hitting him just above his brow and near his temple. William stumbled back and grabbed at his eye as blood gushed from the wound. Rose helped her mother get to her feet, and they ran back toward the hateful black titan of a house that loomed insanely above them. At first, William couldn't see out of his right eye where the little devil had hid him with the rock. Blood pooled and crept into his vision as pain exploded through his skull. By the time he had gathered himself, he could see the two of them rushing up the courtyard steps into the back of the house. He tasted his blood, letting it play with his teeth as he began to follow them, the shovel trailing behind him, clinking and clacking furiously off the ground as he heaved it along with his right arm. It didn't matter how far they ran, they had nowhere to go. Eleanor burst through the back doors, turning just long enough to bolt them behind her before they hurried onward. They couldn't stay in the house that much she knew. He would catch them sooner or later, beating that rusted shovel endlessly against anything in the way until he reached them. He was lost in his eyes, utterly shattered. She had never seen anyone look like that before, as if nothing tethered him to the world anymore. Not pain, exhaustion, or any human empathy. It was a horrifying prospect, trapped here with her daughter and that wild, ferocious man she had once called her husband who now would do anything to hurt them. She could hear him outside getting closer to the back door, the metallic clink of the shovel as it beat against the courtyard steps, and then awfully, the shrill sound it made when it came through the adjacent glass window. She grabbed Rose's face and looked her in the eyes for the second time that night. I need you to run down to the dock. I can draw him through the house, but you need to be waiting there when I come to you. Do you understand? I'm not going to leave you, Mom. Rose cried, shaking her head in such a slight way that it broke Eleanor's heart. I need you to look for a boat. Do you hear me? There must be something there, anything, an emergency raft or something that you think can float. Rose nodded, unable to find words. I know this is very scary for you, but I need you right now. Rose wiped at the tears in her eyes. She turned and ran past her mother and down the long hall that led to the front door. Eleanor called to her daughter one more time as she heard William finish smashing the glass and heard the heavy soles of his shoes contacting the creaking wood boards near the exit. Don't come back, no matter what you hear! 
Rose barely felt like a human anymore. Everything was happening much too fast and much too horribly for consideration. She sprinted as her mother had pleaded with her, first to the huge front door and then through it and back into the night. The sky was a worrisome black as she ran. Howling, shrieking rain came in scathing droves as she followed the worn, winding path back down the hill and toward the dock, where everything had seemed so different in the daylight. She thought she heard a scream at the house, but she didn't turn. She did what she promised. Suddenly, she was at the dock, tripping on the boards but catching herself on one knee. She stood up grimacing, feeling very exhausted and very afraid, and began to comb the area. In the total blackness where it appeared somehow that not a single star shone in the sky, she couldn't see anything out of the ordinary, anything that resembled a boat or raft, or anything that could float past the first breach of the ocean. Rose heard another scream, a billowy echoey screech that was carried through the wind, tossing and swirling until it came to her all wrong. She stared up at the house, bright red in its small windows. She jumped up and down in place, not knowing what to do. Just as she was about to go back to the house to help her mother, she saw the man again, distant and unmoving, his misshapen face and displaced jaw examining her from the corner of her vision. She wheeled about and nearly fell again. He seemed to nod for a moment and then began to fade. Beneath him was what appeared to be the edge of a fairy sticking inelegantly out from a pile of mangled sticks and brambles. Rose ran to it, knowing that she had no time to waste and began ripping at the wood, pulling and tearing anything in her way. She grabbed a hold of the wooden boards that made up the boat and pulled with everything she had, falling almost immediately into the wet, dark slop below. It didn't budge. She forced herself up and tried again this time grunting and screaming with the effort. It budged, then came away entirely, and Rose flew backwards harder this time, nearly knocking herself unconscious from the impact. The boat, just large enough for a small person, or maybe two, began to slide slowly down toward her. Rose, using the last of her strength, stood again and grabbing the side, forced it to the edge of the dock and into the water, where she held it there waiting. Frothy, vulgar sea flooded through the splintered window, spilling cruelly onto the wooden panels beneath, as William snarled and pulled himself through, sharp edges of glass tearing at his clothes, his skin, his flesh. He barely felt it anymore, and even then he felt more pleasure than pain. He could see them, all through the halls, inarticulate shapes peering through the surrounding darkness, the grinning dead faces of so many before him, so many who had come to the island before and died there, so many others who heard the music. It was all he could hear now, the thrumming, throbbing, pulsing beat, the siren song of the night, the infinite depths of the sea pushing and worming through his mind until there was nothing left. Eleanor stripped her outer layers as she moved, wringing her jacket into a crumpled mess, 
squeezing the water onto the floor towards her room to her left and throwing it into the shadows there. She did the same for her scarf and hat, which had been folded into itself and stuffed into a pocket. Anything she could lose, she did, tossing each into different rooms as she turned and doubled back the way she came. She hoped the trail would distract him, that he would be compelled to search each room, giving Rose precious seconds to find something that could serve as a lifeboat and take them away from this wretched, desolate place. She stopped near the edge of a kitchen entrance, where a kiss-to-cook apron was hanging from a misshapen brass hook, and putting her back against the wall, she dropped it to the ground and towed the water that had pulled underneath her. She forced herself to take long, slow breaths as she heard her husband begin to inspect each room, the heavy metal head of the shovel dragging ruthlessly off the hardwood floors, whacking against each crease and bump. She thought of her daughter, out there in the dark, in the cold, in the rain, out there with whatever that foul creature was, clawing its way across the beach, and terror gripped her heart. She could hear William making noises as he approached, only a few rooms away now, skulking and clawing his way onward, grunting and howling strange words she had never heard before. A venerable sea shanty, something sung together, a celebratory merry melody. She thought that she could hear dozens of voices rising and falling with the man she had shared a home with for over a decade, a child, a life a man who had rarely even raised his voice at her. She closed her eyes, steadying herself, as his heavy boots came closer, the swollen wood groaning and creasing under the weight of the man, who seemed then so much larger than he had ever been. Eleanor prayed that Rose had found something. She was out of time. Everything seemed to hesitate. The wind, the rain, the tide, the heavy steps the insane shrieks from the man she loved. She threw herself forward and down just as his shovel hurled past her head and slammed into the wood and plastered there, connecting so violently that it embedded itself a full inch into the surface. She landed awkwardly on her hands and pushed up as quickly as she could, hearing the roaring malicious bellow of the man just behind her as he wrenched the tool free. He swung again somewhere just behind her head. She could feel the air hiss past her ear and whip through the back of her hair. She cried out, ducked on impulse and flung herself out through the glass paneled double doors and into the night. Rose watched as her mother came, surging and limping forward through the torrent, watched as her father chased illuminated madly by the lurid red glow from the house, just steps behind her, screaming, chanting, singing, and laughing, all the time swinging that huge shovel like a turban in looping feral shifts. Rose kicked the skiff out into the waves just as her mother rounded the steps onto the dock. He was gaining ground on her, Swinging down with the shovel, glancing off the right shoulder blade, nearly causing her mother to lose her balance. Instead, she pushed off with her right leg and flung herself forward and out, hanging in the air for a full second before collapsing bitterly onto the front of the boat, her legs partially submerged in the water, 
She howled in pain, and Rose rushed to her and helped pull her the rest of the way onto the deck. For just a moment, they lay flat, blanketed in rain, gasping for air and crying together. Only the wind and the tide sounded then, beating mercilessly against the sides of the skiff, the dock, and the coast. William was silent. Eleanor and Rose forced themselves up to a seated position and searched the dock. He was there, standing still, his shirt ripped open, his wounds exposed and bleeding with the rain, his arms raised wide up past his shoulders. Rose! Eleanor shouted into the vicious tempest, panic rising through her as she realized that something horrible was about to happen. Rose! They each grabbed the paddles, which had been fastened to the interior sides of the skiff, and began to chop at the waves as quickly as they could, timing with each other until they were in unison, beginning to put some distance between them and the beach. William didn't move. His arms stayed wide in some strange profane prayer, and they heard him roaring triumphantly into the night, his voice drifting unnaturally, a series of inhuman guttural grunts unlike anything they had ever known. Voices came from all around them, from the sea itself, at such a ferocious pitch and volume that both Rose and Eleanor grabbed their ears to shield them from the immense pain. The gale came even more ferociously then, alternating and spitting huge treacherous waves careening over the sides of the boat, drowning, sinking them in the depths where the tide embraced him and didn't let go. William took his time. He moved slowly, savoring it all. The brilliant wet air, the way the frost kicked up from the waves and lapped at his naked flesh, and the jumping, cheering, riotous music that danced with his mind. He found Eleanor strewn face down on the rocks cast down like some plaything, a doll tossed aside and forgotten by a bored child, barely breathing, unconscious. He looked at her dispassionately, unbelieving then that he could ever have shared a bed with this pathetic creature. Rose washed up next to her, turning over with the water that carried her. Blood still dripped from the wound above his eye, leaking onto his family. As he reached down, grabbed them by their long brown hair, and began to drag them to the pit. Eleanor thought she was dead, drowned in that infinite frozen sea, among the millions of long lost and rotten things that lay waiting on the seafloor. At first she couldn't feel anything at all, just a vague peculiar sensation of movement that she was being carried, no, pulled along the ground over sticks and stones, shells and soil, to where she couldn't say. Gradually, feeling returned to her, horrible as it was. Her whole body throbbed. It felt broken and unwieldy, nearly choked in the sea brine, hurled against the sandbar, smothered and collected there by the great heaves of nature. Her scalp was on fire. Her mind was dull and battered. When her eyes did open, fluttering once and filling with salt water, she wished she had died. 
she was staring down at the face of the dead man. His skin black and wet, mold and decay wove their way through his exposed sinew, muscle, and yellow bone. His remains, all too twisted and curled, had been thrown into a wide gaping hole in the earth, a burial spot, a tomb, where he had laid for some time, eaten away by insects, birds, beasts, and the elements until only the most unsavory bits remained. She wanted to scream at the sight, but she couldn't find the strength. Her throat burned from where the salt water had infiltrated and filled her lungs. She wondered how she did live, how she could have survived such an ordeal, how the swells had grown so tall, twice the size they had just been, as William had chanted and screamed into the black void of night, some ancient, raw, ungodly worship. Rose. Eleanor forced herself from the edge of the pit, turning to her side and breathed then longer when she saw her daughter pallid and washed over but seemingly alive. She reached for her hand, weakly, touching her skin just for a moment before Rose started to be hauled away again and then hoisted onto her feet. William. Leave her alone. She tried to say, but the words didn't come. God damn you, Will. Leave her alone. Still nothing only the delighted squeals of the wind as it savaged the beach and tore through unkempt grasses. Again, the blackness. She could barely see his face, wicked and dark, contorted, no longer his own. Rose opened her eyes, and they grew wide with terror. She tried to squirm out of his grasp, but he held her firmly pinned to his chest, never moving except his lips, which twisted upward into a toothy sneer. William was holding something to her neck, one of the black rocks from the shore, sharp and serrated, with a curved tip. His eyes found Eleanor's as he pushed the angled tip of the hook into her flesh, beginning to break the skin. No! Eleanor shouted, shoving herself up into her feet with the last of her strength. Her arms splayed warily out in front of her. I never wanted either of you, William said with a snarl. Now I can finally live. His hand twitched and pulled inward as he slashed at Rose's throat. Eleanor screamed. Just as William moved, the dead man flashed his huge, piercing, hollow eyes, appearing just inches from his face. He stepped back and slipped. His hand in the crooked black rock missed Rose, shifting upward and striking his throat. William dropped a stone and fell to his knees, pressing both hands against the wound and struggling to put pressure there. It wasn't enough. His blood ran free and fully through his fingers and down his front. His eyes were wide, bright, fearful for the first time since he had come to the heroin place. Eleanor rushed to her daughter and held her tight, pulling her away and burying her head into her chest. William began to dim. Choking on his own blood and losing strength, tipped forward and fell into the pit, uneasily colliding with the soil, broken bones and spoiled tissue from many years of sacrifice with a deflated wet thud. Eleanor held her daughter as the rain cascaded on them. 
and somewhere in the distance, the storm began to break. She looked up just once and found the eyes of the dead man. They didn't look so cruel anymore. When the sun came, Eleanor and Rose collected their things and moved silently back from the house to the dock. They waited there for the ferryman to return, which he did promptly at midday. They climbed into the boat without saying a word or nodding to greet the man. He didn't ask where William was. He didn't seem to care. Maybe he knew not to ask. He began to row slowly away from that loathsome place which looked so different by day, met with sloping shadows that slanted too far from the windswept trees, along water as calm and placid as if it had been land instead. Eleanor didn't look back, but Rose did, as the land began to shrink and then almost disappeared entirely into nothing. She saw hundreds of figures from many lives standing soundlessly on the shimmering black rocks. William stood alone. I hope you enjoyed Hush House, as written by David Cassie and voiced by Drew Blood. Our very own Drew Blood can be found over on his very own show, Drew Blood's Dark Tales, airing Friday nights on both podcast and YouTube format. Our second tale of the evening comes to us from author Lonnie Aaron Elder and is performed by Drew Blood and Danielle Hewitt. A family is traveling home from a long day when horrifying events lead to a journey down the mysterious and deserted roads to your mind's darkest fears. Now, without further ado, I present to you The Night Road. I swear to God, Beth, if you made me buy this piece of crap clown car just because it had this navigation system in it, I will drive this shitbox off a cliff. Calm down, please. I know you're upset and I know you had a horrible day, but don't take it out on me. At this, the infant child in the back seat begins a wailing cry only a three-month-old with colic can make. Awesome. Now I set off the alarm system, too. And another thing, don't tell me to calm down. I am calm. This is me calm. Beth had let out a snicker. You made a major ass out of yourself back there in front of my family. You see them twice a year. You can try to be nice twice a year. Besides, this year they didn't even give a damn we were there. They just wanted to see your daughter. Recalculating. Again with this thing. Shut the hell up already. I know where I'm going. Mister, I know where I'm going. If you knew where you were going all the time, we wouldn't need a car with a navigation system. Don't you turn this on me. This shortcut is going to save us at least two hours. Faster than this British cow GP whatever the hell it is. The machine will get us home. Don't worry about my driving so much. How about you shut your mouth and worry about getting that kid to shut her mouth so I can focus on the road. It's dark, and the headlights on this thing suck. 
They can hardly cut the dark. I can see about ten feet. Frickin' thing sucks. Recalculating. Beth, I swear. But the sentence trails off. Looking over at Beth in the passenger seat, Ryan's heart stopped. Looking straight ahead, Beth's skin seemed to be rotting in places. As a slight smile crept along her face, the navigation system let out an all-too-familiar cry. Recalculating. Gasping for air, knuckles white from grasping the wheel as tight as possible. Ryan was shocked back to reality with the crying from his three-month-old baby. Pay attention to the road, space case. You're gonna get us killed. If you want to drive like that and kill yourself on your own time, that's fine. Don't take us with you. When he snapped his face to look at her, the rotting was gone. It must have been a case of road blindness, Ryan thought. How about you nag less and be a better mother to your child? Ryan said, with more venom in his voice than he thought he was able to muster. More like your Aunt Cheryl was? Ryan whipped his head towards Beth. What? What are you talking about? Oh, you know. When your mom wasn't around, she would be a very special mommy to you. She would take really good care of you, wouldn't she? (laughs) Beth started giggling and looked away out of the windshield. You're crazy. You have no idea what you're talking about. Ryan said with a cracking voice. But the problem was that she wasn't wrong. How did she... Recalculating. Ryan looked out the corner of his eye at Beth. The rotting on her face was back. But this time it was even worse. Now blood was dripping from her ear onto her shoulder. She was smiling sadistically. And Ryan could see blood-stained teeth. He let out a gasp that got Beth's attention. But instead of looking at Ryan, she just widened her smile. What a lovely night to drive, isn't it? Recalculating. Ryan looked away and out the windshield into the endless darkness. He was starting to make out what must have been small road signs or something on the side of the road. It was still far too dark to make them out. But it was a relief. Signs meant people, and people meant light. Ryan thought to himself, Okay, this is all just the dark road playing tricks on my mind. Maybe a little too much holiday cheer. Maybe I should have stopped at four beers. But with those people... Thirty beers aren't enough to deal with their constant nagging. At the thought of his extended family, a fresh wave of anger rushed through his body. Shut that fucking baby up, or I swear to you, Beth, I'm leaving the two of you on the side of the damn road. Recalculating. Beth, I'm not joking. I will strangle her. Why don't you just hit her, Ryan? Beth said with an almost childlike amusement in her voice. I know hitting women gets you hard. Beth put her hand on Ryan's leg and moaned. Come on, Daddy. Hit your little girl. Get hard for Mommy. (laughs) Laughed Beth. Ryan pulled away in disgust. What is wrong with you? Have you lost your damn mind? Recalculating. Beth was laughing at full volume as she focused on the road. Ryan was losing control of his emotions with everything that was happening in his mind. Tears started to well up in his eyes with the wailing from the back seat and the laughter from the passenger seat. Ryan did his best to focus on the task at hand. He thought, I need to get the two of them home. I'll stay at a hotel for tonight. Or maybe for a few nights and get my head straight. Get away from all this. Recalculating. As Ryan was making plans to save his mind and his marriage, 
He caught something out of the corner of his eye. No, it can't be. He wasn't about to ask Beth if she had seen it. His mind had been put through the ringer over the last hour or so, and he was ready to snap. So he let it go. A few miles more down the road, there it was again. This time, he had time to get a good look. And it was exactly what he thought it was. But that's impossible. It can't be. It had been his brother, Ben. But it can't be Ben. Not only were they in the middle of Northern California and Ben lived in Missouri, Ben had overdosed on painkillers he stole from their grandmother back in 2007. It's nothing. It's just not real. Ryan said out loud to make it seem more concrete. At this declaration, Beth laughed. Taking a second, he snuck a glance at Beth, who was now paying full attention to Ryan. Her gleaming white smile was smeared with blood, running from the corners of her mouth. One eye was black from where it looked like it was sliced open. Her skull was shattered on one side of her head, but she still emitted that same laughter that carved at Ryan's bones. Oh no, my dear. (laughs) It is very real. Recalculating. Beth laughed harder than he had ever heard her laugh in their four years of marriage. Blood and pieces of flesh covered his face in the reflection of the glass. Stop it. This isn't real. Ryan cried as a mixture of crying and laughter rose in volume. Recalculating. This isn't real. He said louder. Recalculating. This isn't real! Ryan screamed as the laughter reached its peak. Recalculating. 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 Ryan, Ryan, what's wrong with you? Beth said in a concerned manner. Ryan slammed the brakes of the car and pulled over to the side of the road. Gasping for air, Ryan held both hands out in front of himself to ward off Beth. But she was back to her normal, beautiful self. What is going on? You've been staring out the window, mumbling to yourself for the last two hours. Finally getting his surroundings in check and his blood pressure to a normal level, Ryan was able to bring a smile to his face. Oh my God, hon. Did I have the wildest trip of my life? You you were all mangled, and the baby wouldn't stop crying. And the damn car wouldn't stop yapping. And, and get this, Beth. I saw Ben in all his junky glory, just standing there on the side of the road, clear as day. That's what pushed me over the edge. Ryan sunk into his seat. <sighs> Babe, it scared the shit out of me. Thank Christ, it was all just a daydream. That's such a silly thought, Ryan. Beth said with a smile on her face. Right? (laughs) It was like you were a zombie or something. Ryan chuckled. Ryan, (laughs) you're funny. (laughs) Want to know something really silly? Beth said in an almost coy, shy whisper. (laughs) Sure, anything. It's all true. Beth whispered into his ear. Ryan pulled away. What do you mean? Ryan slowly turned around, trying to keep his eyes on his smiling wife while pulling the blanket off his daughter who had been sleeping the whole car ride. What was sitting in her car seat was a skeleton wearing the clothing he had dressed her in that morning. Ryan screamed in shock. What the hell? You can't be surprised, are you? You really were a horrible father and husband. You just needed to prove it ultimately tonight.
Beth, what is going on? You don't remember after turning off Main Street, Ryan? Tell me, father of the decade. Beth was getting that mischievous smile back on her face. I turned onto this road, and we take this road all the way back to Novato. Beth howled with laughter. Oh, baby, you couldn't be more wrong. At this, the baby in the back seat started crying again. Ryan whipped his head around in total shock and absolute terror. Let me clear things up, sweetheart. When you made that turn, you didn't notice the Mack truck speeding at 85 miles per hour, bearing down on us. And we all know, big trucks can't stop on a dime. <laughs> Let that set in. You drank. You decided to drive. You killed your daughter, who did nothing to anyone on this earth but gave love to every person she came across. You took that light from this world and sent her to hell with you. You took me from the world, too. I deserved better than you. I dealt with your shit for years. The trauma, the abuse, the cheating, the lying. And what do I get out of it? <laughs> A spot next to you in hell. But it's okay. Because I get to see you dragged down, kicking and screaming with my own two eyes. We get to see you finally get what you deserve. Suddenly, the driver's door of Beth's prized new car was pulled open smoothly by a man in an all-black suit, slicked black hair, wingtip shoes, smelling of ash mixed with the sweet smell of roses and cinnamon. Mr. Voss, this is where your trip ends, and in turn... Begins. The man said in a deep, velvety voice. Ryan reluctantly stepped from the car, feeling compelled by a magnetic force. Wait, please, Beth said, digging into her purse. Beth placed two gold pieces in Ryan's palm. For the trip, the man bowed slightly in a sign of appreciation and picked up his scythe he had been resting on the side of Beth's priced car. As Ryan and the man were starting their journey into the distance... Ryan heard one last chilling sound that would haunt his afterlife forever. You have reached your destination. I hope you enjoyed The Night Road, as written by Lonnie Aaron Elder and performed by Drew Blood and Danielle Hewitt. If you enjoyed Danielle's performance, you can hear more of her on the Chilling Tales YouTube channel, where she holds the third place championship title for 2019's Evil Idol competition. You'll also find more of her work on the Wicked Library and Creepy Podcast at www.creepypod.com. On that note, be sure to check out the other shows we offer on our network. We have Horror Hill, airing Thursdays for your hardcore, more brutal offerings. Drew Blood's Dark Tales airs Friday, featuring some southern down-home horror. Fear from the Heartland airs Wednesdays. Longtime resident Otis Jiry has a show on Sunday nights that features two stories on the Standard Edition, as well as two more which can be accessed through our patrons' area. Now... 
Our weekly descent into the depths has just about come to a close. But before we go, I'd like to take a moment to thank you for joining us for tonight and remind you to take a moment to stop by our iTunes page and leave Chilling Tales for Dark Nights a five-star review and a kind word. And follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram if you haven't already. And of course, subscribe to us on YouTube where you can find an archive of our work going back to 2012. And consider signing up as a patron at our website, ChillingTalesForDarkNights.com, to show your support and get all of our content ad-free. I'm your host of the evening, Steve Taylor, and it's been a pleasure. Tune in again next week when we once again turn off the lights and turn on the dark. Sweet dreams, listener. Sweet Dreams. <laughs>Angie has made it easier than ever to connect with skilled professionals to get all your jobs projects done well. If you own a home, you know how much work it can take, whether it's everyday maintenance and repairs or making dream projects a reality. It can be hard just to know where to start, but now all you need to do is Angie that and find a skilled local pro who will deliver the quality and expertise you need. Angie has over 20 years of home service experience and they've combined it with new tools to simplify the whole process. Bring them your project online or with the Angie app, answer a few questions, and Angie can handle the rest from start to finish or help you compare quotes from multiple pros and connect instantly, which means you can take care of just about any home project in just a few taps. Because when it comes to getting the most out of your home, you can do this when you Angie that. Download the free Angie mobile app today or visit Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I dot com.